Anybody can get a quote. You get a quote, and you get a quote, and you get a quote. Because it's automated, it doesn't need to go through a single human, right? We're talking, if we're talking about the majority of the cases, which is this is going to have to go through a human underwriter to get a manual quote back. And, and while we've built a tech platform that the borrowers use on one side and the lenders use on the other, we're typically going to do a little bit more of that vetting, including not only is the deal real and is the investor real, but is there an LOI in place on this property? Today, our guest is Tim Malazzo from StackSource. And today we're talking about the future of commercial real estate financing. His company, StackSource, is helping bring commercial real estate financing online and do for commercial real estate what has already been done for residential real estate financing and mortgages. We dig into that. We also dig into the current state of the lending market, interest rates, and so much more. A lot of great information in this one. I really think technology is the future of basically every industry, particularly in real estate. We're a little slow to catch up in real estate, but we are getting there and we will get there eventually. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially interested in investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. People see your reviews and they think, hey, this person learned something from the show. Maybe I can learn something too. They tune in and they learn as well. And you know what? I see your reviews. I see that you're learning from the show and I get to see that you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. And I appreciate that so, so much, you guys. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, look us up and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Tim Malazzo. Without any further ado, here we go. Tim, thank you for joining us today. Taylor, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, your background, your company, StackSource, can you tell us about yourself and what you do? Yes, absolutely. So I am Tim uh, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of StackSource. Co-founder means there's one other co-founder who's in New York, my partner, Nathan, and he's a software engineer. And we teamed up to build StackSource for a couple of reasons. We saw that it was hard to find the right financing for commercial real estate investing. We also saw that on the residential side, buying homes and consumer mortgages was getting drastically and quickly easier through online lending, through automated quotes. Fast forward to today, Rocket Mortgage is like far and away the largest residential lender. Uh, and that's something we saw trending several years ago when we started working on StackSource. But it goes a little bit further back than that, Taylor, because I had family members that were in real estate and commercial real estate. And I purposely did not take that career path coming out of school. I studied finance, but then went and worked at big tech companies before several years later, coming back towards real estate and seeing how big an opportunity real estate tech was going to be. So knowing all of these things, that real estate tech was going to become this big opportunity, that residential mortgage lending was evolving, and that commercial real estate financing was not yet evolving, led us to work on a real estate commercial real estate financing portal that ultimately became StackSource. Great. Awesome. Thanks for that. So can you tell us a bit more about the, the platform and, and what it offers, especially, you know, I think 
folks maybe have familiarity with Rocket Mortgage and the like for residential properties. So what are the some of the similarities or, or differences there? Yeah. So a, a couple of differences between, you know, residential mortgages and, and commercial in general. First of all, commercial mortgages are fundamentally a different type of underwriting where it's mostly about the property, what can be done with the property, what is the income of the property, rather than strictly about the borrower's finances. So it is a very different type of underwriting. It's not the type of thing that we saw these big residential mortgage shines getting into with automated quotes and the like, because they have a very different underwriting model, which opened up the opportunity on the commercial side to really build a platform about properties and how to finance at a property by property level, what lenders might be matched, what loan programs might be applicable for different real estate investors in multifamily, residential portfolio loans, retail and offices all across the country. There are thousands of available lenders, banks and credit unions, life insurance companies and government agencies. And it's a, it's a thorny process to try to find what is the best commercial mortgage that I can qualify for with this commercial property acquisition or refinance or construction. And so we are today now in early 2022, one of the fastest growing commercial mortgage companies in the country because we have taken that thorny process of trying to figure out what financing programs you qualify for and simplifying it into an online portal with capital advisors standing by that you can talk to and you know, real humans that are experts of this process, but a very simple online portal where you can match with lenders, where you can get instant quotes in certain loan scenarios and really see, am I getting the best available financing on my deal? So that is the certain scenarios is really, I think the area that I wonder about because being that commercial lending runs off of the property rather than the borrower, seems a lot more complicated to go through that quote process because you might need to provide a number of documents or, you know, something else. like, how do you really streamline that process and also run like maybe an 80, 20 type of situation where you can, okay, we can't get all of the properties or, or loan types streamlined, but we can target, you know, this subset to at least streamline these initially. Sure. Well, so we see a future where about 40% of the commercial mortgage market would be addressable through something like an instant quote and, a, and an online closing. So it's actually less than that on our portal today, where there are certain loan programs that if you qualify for, I'll take one, for instance, that is live on our platform today, Freddie Mac Small Balance Multifamily Loan Programs. So if you qualify for an agency loan between $1 million and $6 million on your property, and there's a number of things that would make you qualify. It has to have 90% occupancy in a market rate or affordable apartment building. If you have information about the income of that property for the last three months, if the tenants are paying, and if you have a, a 680 credit score, there are all these qualifiers that would say, you may qualify for a Freddie Mac small balance multifamily loan. That's one of the ones that we can instantly quote saying, this is going to be the interest rate. This is going to be the maximum loan size. Here's what you can get on a, an interest rate with this prepayment penalty versus that one. Or if you want to add in one year of IO, you enter that in the portal and it's going to give you an updated quote. So someday 40% of the commercial mortgage market will be driven by these instant quotes. 
that's still a few years off. Right now, it's very few portals that can do this automated pricing and sizing that Stacksource can do. And it's on a select few types of loan programs. But the types of properties that will eventually qualify, they have stable income. So this is not, hey, I, I have a piece of dirt and I'm telling you I'm going to build a commercial property and someday we'll have this income or this is a big value add deal and I'm going to do a bunch of repairs and I'm going to ch- jack up the rents on all the tenants. That's fine. And that's a good investment strategy if you're a good real estate investor. But properties with stable income in areas where there's demand for that property and specifically multifamily or with credit tenants, if it's commercial, are the types of loans that can be automatically underwritten. Okay. Interesting. So you mentioned one thing in particular there, you enter, say, if you want a a year of interest only or things that are maybe a little more common in commercial financing rather than, than residential financing is there's IO and you can get kind of maybe a little more say creative with the financing or, or flexible with different terms, things like that. I wonder to what extent you can really, the, the technology platforms can really push that, you know, level of customization or, or back and forth with a lender to really tailor what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are certain things that can be customized right within the auto quotes that we have. So the prepayment penalty, and there's a trade-off here between pricing and flexibility. And, and that's in commercial mortgages overall, as well as like these stabilized instant quotes. So you can say, well, I want to get the very lowest interest rate that I qualify for. You're going to have the most strict prepayment penalty though. And you're not going to get those years of IO. You can mm-hmm. say, I want to get two years of interest only payments and I want to have flexible prepayment penalty. It's going to make up for it in the interest rate. And this is true within the auto quotes, but this is also true within commercial mortgages overall, where the most flexible lenders that you can connect with and get term sheets from are not necessarily going to be the cheapest lenders. There, there is a trade-off there. So you can go for a 10-year fixed rate with the, with the lowest possible interest rate. That may come from a life insurance company rather than you know from the banks that you know but they may cap their LTV ratio at 65%. So that means you have to bring up 35% of the deal in cash or, or other forms of equity. They may have 10 years of prepayment penalties. If you want to pay off that loan or sell the property in the first 10 years of that loan of a 15-year loan, there's going to be a pretty big penalty for paying back that loan early. So that's something that does not exist on the residential side. It's a large degree, certainly not in conforming mortgages, would be this idea of prepayment penalties, the idea of having personal recourse. So if your loan defaults, you actually have to make up the balance based on your own personal assets. And they don't, like the bank doesn't just get back the building, they get back the building plus what's in your pocket too. So there are, there are certain features on these commercial mortgages. And there's a, there's a trade-off here between the structure and making the, the structure flexible versus getting the very lowest interest rate. Okay. So real estate is very relationship driven and network driven, particularly commercial real estate is, is especially when you're talking about brokers and who has access to the deals themselves, not mortgage brokers, but the actual commercial real estate brokers. And, right. you know, there are uh, folks tend to have established relationships with, say, lenders to get things reviewed. How do you because this this model is kind of shifting that paradigm in a way to to take a relationship aspect out of it, but also streamline it, reduce the costs and things along those lines. So how do you envision kind of shifting that paradigm, especially in commercial real estate? Is it just a matter of it being an inevitability that technology will advance to that point? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So, so 
the relationship space is mostly going to be someday the technology will shift it so that if it's the type of underwriting that is going to be programmatic, you're going to be instant quotes, you're going to be online closing. That's going to be the less relationship-based you know, portion of commercial mortgages, where it's really about the platform speed and efficiency and the online experience. For everything else and for a majority and for most loan programs now, that relationship aspect is actually really valuable, Taylor. And, and I'm not going to undercut that in any way. What, I, what I'll say is, if you know how valuable relationships with two or three lenders can be, what if you had relationships with 900 different lenders? And of course, the answer is, well, that's impossible to have relationships with 900 different lenders. It doesn't matter if you are, you know, Blackstone or Donald Trump or anyone else that has great business stories, you're still not going to have relationships with 900 different lenders, but a full-time dedicated company that has capital advisors across the country and has a portal where all they do every day is talk to lenders about deals and arrange financing can't. And so that's the case working with a, a traditional financing broker, working with a portal like Stacksource, is that when you team up with someone that has hundreds of lender relationships and those lenders know they have to be on their best behavior, they need to be responsive if they want to continue to see deal flow, not just from one lender, from one borrower, excuse me, but if they want to see deal flow from the hundreds of borrowers that are represented by that portal or by that broker, that's where you start to step into the power of really having relationships scale and also have competition in the market is the other aspect. Because you can have a relationship with one lender, but that doesn't create competition where, yes, you know that they can execute and you know that they like you and vice versa, but competition is the other key ingredient in this capital markets. Capital markets become more efficient the more competition there is. True. Yes, that is true. So on the back end of, so there's, we've, we've mostly addressed the, the front end here of actually going and getting a quote, but you know, once you get a little bit deeper and maybe move down the path with a particular lender and go to, you know, more detailed underwriting and all that type of thing, where does the process through Stacksource converge, if at all, with the more, you know, legacy process with, where you're kind of dealing with the people at the bank and all of that? Yeah. So, so right away, users that come to the Stacksource portal, first of all, are always teamed up with a Stacksource capital advisor. So there's never anything that's sent to the capital markets and to our lending partners for review and for quotes before it goes through the Stacksource team of capital advisors and analysts that make sure we're only giving the best deals out to our marketplace and, you know, something that is never going to underwrite, is not reaching the wrong lender, for instance. <laughs> but each lender is also in control of their own due diligence checklist to actually close a loan after the quote process. So imagine you have one really easy process that gets you to a bunch of competitive loan quotes. There's some negotiation that the capital advisor helps you do with you know the, the one or two most competitive lending sources. When you choose a lender to move forward with, it's going to go through their credit committee before ultimately getting closed. And that's where we just kind of help quarterback at that point. What is the due diligence and closing process? There's still the document collection. There is still the third-party reports like an appraisal and an environmental. Those things aren't going away anytime soon. They could be a little bit more organized. And we've heard from lots and lots of borrowers that they appreciate when that closing and due diligence process is a bit more organized than going it alone. Um, but having an advocate and somebody keeping that process organized is the part we play right now. 
rather than taking over and funding the loan ourselves. That's not something that we do. We're, we're helping the borrower through the process of getting a loan from one of these third-party institutions. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So it does make a lot of sense that you would have your own team reviewing these things to make sure, sure you're not sending, you know, basically a bunch of junk to these lenders and, and wasting their time. You need to play goalie a little bit or referee and make yeah. sure, you know, they're getting quality information coming their way, being efficient. Yeah. It's, it's a managed marketplace. It's not a free for all where bar- borrowers can connect with lenders. Uh, while we wish and, and still continue to work towards the most transparent possible future between borrowers understanding what capital sources they have access to and capital sources getting like, you know, good targeted deal flow. It needs to be vetted deal flow. Otherwise the marketplace starts to pull itself apart. So it's a market, it's a managed marketplace so that the lenders, the best lenders are sticking around. And we've seen other online loan portals not do this, where they've just had databases of lenders that they post and they try to spam these lenders with every single loan request that comes across. But there are loan requests that are not real. There are people that request 90 LTV when you're in commercial and that's impossible. And, you know, there are all these things that happen that lead the best lenders to go away and the worst rent lenders to stick around. And it's pretty easy to get a bunch of hard money lenders that have rates of 12 or 14% to stick around the bad loan marketplace. It's pretty hard to get the life codes and the banks and the, the lenders that are at three and a half percent today with the best loan structures and, and the most clean underwriting. It's hard to get them to stick around if you're not vetting it. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you need to respect their time. So I can imagine scenarios where you may get the same property from different investor groups. You know, they're getting those deals marketed to them. How do you ensure that the the processes, you know, internally kind of remain separated enough to, you know, not let those two deals interfere with one another, even though it's the same property? Or how do you handle that situation really? Because maybe you can synergize. I, I don't know what the process needs to look like, but what do you do? Yeah. Oh, good question. Okay. So if it's a type of property that would qualify for an auto quote, you're somebody's buying a stabilized multifamily, that solves the problem beautifully within that box because anybody can get a quote. You get a quote and you get a quote and you get a quote because <laughs> it's automated. It doesn't need to go through a single human, mm-hmm. right? We're talk- if we're talking about the majority of the cases, which is this is going to have to go through a human underwriter to get a manual quote back. And, and while we've built a tech platform that the borrowers use on one side and the lenders use on the other, we're typically going to do a little bit more of that vetting, including not only is the deal real and is the investor real, but is there an LOI in place on this property? Are you shooting us every loan request that from every property <laughs> you're interested in? Or have you had some talks with the seller to see that they're actually going to be interested in the price points that you're underwriting this to? Otherwise, let's keep that to a conversation about assumptions in your model with one of our capital advisors rather than sending that deal out to market for live quotes yet. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, you it, it comes down to the efficiency of your business as well. You can't be spending a lot of time on, you know, non-serious potential borrowers that just keep coming back and you know, aren't really intending to or able to to move forward. So I'm, I'm curious, I don't know whether you have imp- opinions on this or not, but you know, the interest rates going up, the 10-year treasury is creeping up and things like that. What are you hearing from the lenders as far as their expectations for the commercial market? I mean, 
rates seem bound to go up. As long as the 10-year treasury is going up, then the rates on commercial paper is going to go up. But what do you what do you see? Yeah. So so rates are going up across the board. Last week we saw the first Federal Reserve interest rate increase in in several years. Mm-hmm. Um and while the Federal Reserve does not promise ahead of time, here's exactly how many interest rate increases we're going to issue. They've they've made indications that this is by far not the last interest rate increase that we're going to see. Now the Federal Reserve does not control all of you know, commercial interest rates or all of finance or treasury bonds, they, they indirectly influence like treasury yields and the 10-year treasury and the 30-year treasury, which are both key to the mortgage markets. Some investors are, or some lenders and investors are also basing loan quotes on a new rate index called SOFR, so Secured Overnight, overnight Financing Rate. It's taking the place of LIBOR, which is going the way. But certainly, I, it would be, you'd be hard-pressed to find an economist out there that doesn't expect all of these things to continue to rise. So what is controlled by the Federal Reserve would be the prime rate, which is tied to the federal funds rate, which they directly control, the U.S. Treasury bill, the yield of that, the, the SOFR rate. They're all, they're all headed upward. It will mean more expensive borrowing for both residential and commercial mortgages. So I think so far this year, and here we are in March 2020, we've seen about 45 to 50 basis points increase in the 10-year U.S. Treasury We've seen about about 40 to 45 basis point increase in commercial borrowing interest rates as well. So nearly as much as the treasuries. Obviously, there's a spread in there where you know commercial mortgage rates are a bit higher than the treasury rates. That spread has actually compressed somewhat so far this year. We'll, we'll see where it continues to head. Inflation seems here to stay. Right now, interest rates are still fairly low. It's like if you... If you feel like, oh, darn, I didn't refinance between this, you know, after this first, or before this first Federal Reserve announcement, it's not necessarily too late, first of all. It's not too late to refinance if you're finishing up a value add play, if you're acquiring commercial real estate. Cap rates are low and borrowing rates are still low. The interesting thing will be how far do cap rates rise as commercial mortgage rates rise, because that can mess with an underwriting. And you have to assume in a commercial underwriting, where cap rates will be in five or seven or 10 years when you get out of the property or, or when you refinance it, that's a hard prediction to make. Commercial, commercial mortgage borrowing is by no means over. We're still seeing rates in threes or fours for many, many assets, especially for multifamily and industrial that are in high demand. That demand is going to continue as well. There's a, there's a shortage of housing. There's a shortage of industrial property. In some areas that are growing in the country, like Florida and Texas, there's even a shortage of retail properties. So there's demand there. The borrowing rates are still low, but the cap rates are low as well. So it's at this interesting time where, Taylor, if you figure that out, if you figure out where interest rates and cap rates are going to be, let's invest together and neither of us have to be working very hard. (laughs) Well, that's a great point. I think uh, you also make a good point about basically where rates are now compared to where they were historically, they're still at all-time lows. If you think rates have gone up massively, then just zoom out and look where rates were in the 80s. You know, we're still well, well below that. And I have a hard time imagining us getting anywhere near back to where rates were then. But rising rates logically almost have to put upward pressure on 
cap rates. I mean, it, it's just, it's hard to see a world, uh, a situation. Where it that is hard. Happen. It's hard, but it's also hard to see what's happening next, even, you know, weeks ahead. That's and, true. And <laughs> yeah. Full of surprises this last couple of years. But on the interest rate in particular, I guess one more answer would be if you're super worried about interest rates rising for properties you already own or already have under contract, this is a, just a great argument for fixed rate debt and being careful of floating rate debt or sitting in floating rate debt for too long. Absolutely. And I, you know, you mentioned earlier on prepayment penalties. I've seen people get burned on prepayment penalties that they didn't understand. So, you know, if you're in that situation, you might have them. You got to understand what prepayment penalties are before you build a, a business case. But, um, you know, it's a, a completely different discussion. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and Get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Tim, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Other than education, I, I'm going to say starting my first company, which is right here, Stack Source. It's been, I'm cheating a little bit, but I've learned so much, not just from a college education, but actually getting my hands on running a business and starting a business. But um, I also hope that this will be the largest monetary investment based on the growth of the business and the fact that I own still a lot of the equity in it, even after raising some investments. So I'm going to say starting my first business. Nice. Like it. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Okay. So I'm going to say I worked at it's no longer called Facebook, the company. It's called Meta. Uh, I yes. worked there when it was called Facebook. I was part of a startup that got acquired by Facebook. And I was supposed to be on a four-year vesting schedule so that I would be paid out from the startup acquisition I was part of. I wasn't a founder of this company. I was an employee. But I, I'm going to say I, I left too early and sold my Facebook shares too early. And then they rose dramatically uh -huh. in the time after that I could have still been vesting and I could have been sitting on the shares. So that was a poor investment decision not to sit on those shares for longer. Interesting. What was the name of the company that was acquired, if I can ask? Uh, we were called LiveRail. Uh, it was about 150 employees globally, and it was a video advertising technology. So Facebook has made some famous acquisitions like WhatsApp and Instagram mm -hmm. and Oculus. And those, they were huge acquisitions in the billions of dollars, but none of those companies made any money. <laughs> LiveRail was the first company that Facebook ever acquired that had revenue. And so it was not the largest acquisition they ever made. And I, I think they didn't publicly talk about the acquisition price, though. You can you could see articles that speculate that it was in the few hundred of millions of dollars. But we were 150 people. We were making money at LiveRail. I was in video advertising technology. So not one of their biggest, most famous, but the first ever revenue generating acquisition by Facebook. Nice. I like that. That's pretty cool. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, I would say continue to invest no matter where you're investing or what you're doing in the relationships of the people around you, because one, you're going to have a better time as you're doing it. 
Meaning you're going to be more successful because you have stronger relationships. You're going to be more happy because you have stronger relationships. And then that preserves your ability to work with those people in various ways later, because very, very few people are going to be doing the same thing at the same company in the same way for decades anymore. That's just not the way our economy works. It's not the way our society works. We move around, we change, we move our houses, we move our jobs, we move our family. And invest in the relationships you have around you because you don't know how long those people are going to be around you, but they pay dividends not only now, but for the future to have great relationships. I love it. Well, Tim, thank you for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to track your company down or anything like that, where can they find you? Yeah, my company is found at stacksource.com. Think about the real estate capital stack and sourcing it, and you'll think about stacksource.com. My email address is tim at stacksource.com. But if you uh, Google Tim Malazzo, Facebook or you know LinkedIn or uh, Twitter, or you just Google me, I'm usually the first person that comes up. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.